0: Thanks for listening to summit PA sermon audio weekly teaching from the summit church in Indiana, Pennsylvania, SummitPA.church, every life made different.
1: Hey summit family. I am so excited that we're starting a new series this weekend called big 10. And uh, we're actually going to take this series throughout the rest of the month, but thank you for joining us um today is an important weekend uh memorial day weekend and we're doing six for six and uh so thank you for joining us if you're watching online if you're a guest in the house make yourself at home and uh as always i want to make sure we welcome uh, our folks that are watching from our blairsville and worshiping with us from our blairsville location we love you guys so much those of you in the house here in indiana why don't you give our folks in blairsville a big round of applause and uh, let them know we appreciate them we love you guys Um, so today we're going to start a series on the 10 commandments. And what we're doing today is six of our pastors are going to walk through the six commandments relating to human beings, because there's four that relate to our relationship with God. And then there's six that relate to our relationships with the people around us. And so what we're going to do is take six minutes each and, um, talk about six of the commandments. So what I want to do is walk through this with you guys. So we're going to start with number Uh, number five today so number five is actually where I'm gonna begin and then we'll cover the the first four um, over the next few weeks so make sure you're here so what's gonna happen is there's gonna be a timer on the screen and at the end of six minutes if our speakers not done we're gonna hear a buzzer and it's gonna buzz and uh, they're gonna be escorted off the stage in shame so with all that said let's get started Um, Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 says honor your father and mother then you will live a long Full life in the land the Lord, your God, is giving you. Honor is a word that's often misunderstood in our culture today. I think we throw the word around, but we don't always uh, understand what it really means. And if you look at the original Hebrew, this word is kabod in the Hebrew. And uh, it it makes it a little um, confusing if you look at it, because the word kabod means literally to add weight. Um, So if, if you're thinking about it in that, vernacular in our context it would be like hey that Big Mac Mac kabod my body, right? Um, Like Meadows ice cream kabod me. And it's like, nope, that's not how this works. So if you look at the original context, what it's talking about is um, a value, a valuation. And so when they were trying to determine a value of something, they would weigh it against something else. So if they were trying to determine the value of something, uh, they would weigh it and say, here's how much it's worth. Here's what its value is. So what we look at, when we look at this passage, it says, honor your father. Or mother, what it's really saying is assign a high value, assign a high value to them, treat them as if they're precious, honor them in a high way, um, act like. Their weight is greater than it really is, and this is the interesting thing. Some of you might be watching this or listening to this right now, and you're going, well, that's not right because my parents were bad parents. My dad was a villain, and and I know that there are parents like that in the world, but this is what I want you to understand. We don't honor because someone deserves it. We honor because we need it. The person doesn't need it, but we do because... God understood that honor positions us to be able to do everything else he wants us to do well. If we assign a high value to someone, if we say they are valuable, we're going to treat them differently than we would normally. Um, whether they deserve it or not, we're going to, we're going to act differently toward them. We're going to value them differently. We're going to approach them differently. Um, our interactions are going to look different. And, and, and so this is important for us to get this right. One of the interesting things is this command doesn't say, love your parents. It says, honor your parents. In fact, we don't see in scripture anywhere that it says, love your parents. And right now there's some kids that are like, yes, perfect. Right. But I think it's important for us to understand. It does command us to honor. It says to love your neighbor. It says to love your enemy. It says to love the stranger. It says to love God, but it never says love your mom or love your dad. But it's really, really important for us to honor because maybe your parents are a villain. You can still honor them. But, but maybe they're not a villain. Maybe they're doing their best they can, and you assign a high value to them. It's going to make it even easier for you to love them well because you've assigned them a high value. Now, one of the reasons this is important is it causes children to learn humility at a very early age it, it causes them to understand that hey I'm I'm accountable to a higher authority and when we can learn that in the context of our parents it makes it easier for us to understand that in the context of God as well because a child who doesn't learn that they're accountable to a higher authority is going to grow into a an adult who struggles to keep a job because they have problems with their boss it's going to lead to uh, people who can't get plugged into a church because their pastor is always a villain. Uh, It's going to lead to people who struggle with their relationship with their coach or with their teachers or all these things. So at the end of the day, this really sets us up for success in our future. Um, One of the things I find interesting is parents who don't have honor are basically peers. Um, And parents are unique and should be treated uniquely. But unfortunately, what's happened is we've got a problem in our country with fatherlessness. There's literal fatherlessness because there's not a father in the home. Um, But what I see is sometimes there's absentee parents as well. They're in the home, but they might as well not be because they don't engage. They don't show attention. They don't love. Uh, But but what I realized is there's a problem with fatherlessness, too, because sometimes what we've given our child is not a parent, but a, a buddy. And kids don't need another buddy. Kids need a mom or a dad. They need someone who can lead them well. Um, and and I think it's important for us to t- train our children to honor us well, again, not because we need it, but because they need it. My mom doesn't need me to honor her. I need to honor my mom, and it's important for me, even as a 44-year-old, to understand the value of honoring her life. Parents should train their kids to honor them. It's not selfish. You're doing it for them. It's going to help them be more successful in their lives. And the reality is if we can't honor our parents, then how in the world are we ever going to honor the people around us or honor God? So it's important for us to honor. Sometimes we leave that second part out of this verse. It says, Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land that your Lord God is giving you. And we could approach that in one of two ways. The first is a promise, which is the way most people approach it, and they say, Hey, here's a promise. If you don't honor your mom and dad, uh your dad's gonna kill you and you're gonna die, so you won't have a long life, right? Uh that's the way my dad used to approach it. And uh and that's that may be the way to apply this, but it's interesting the the way the Jewish people apply this is different. It's not a promise as much as it is a prediction. Um, because Jewish culture would say that a society that doesn't value honoring parents can't survive long, a a, a society that doesn't value honoring and assigning a high value to people in authority can't survive long. And I would say a godly culture in our world can't survive long in a, in a vacuum of honor where we don't honor people. We don't honor those in authority. We don't honor our peers. We don't honor the people we're leading, um, Godly culture can't thrive. Honor is important to help set the stage for all the rest of the commandments in so many ways. It's important for us to value honor. What I've realized is my time is up. So right now, I want to encourage you to honor well, and I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Christina. Give her a round of applause.
2: (ilantro) (sighs) (<|br|>) (sighs) He makes me laugh. All right, friends. Today, I get to talk with you about murder. So we are going to do the sixth of Ten Commandments. It is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. And it says this, you must not murder. It's pretty straightforward, right? Um, The Hebrew word for murder that's used here actually means to murder. So that's really helpful. (laughs) Um, But we're going to talk about today why we shouldn't murder. And to do that, we actually have to go back to the beginning. We actually have to go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created everything. And with everything else, God actually said, let there be, and it was. But with humans, he did something entirely different, something unique. First, he prefaced it and said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, to be like us. And then he took dust and he formed man and he breathed life into him. And then he took one of man's ribs and he formed woman. God assigned dignity and value to each and every human that's distinctly different from every other part of creation. So when we murder We actually ignore the dignity and value God's placed on each and every person and we treat them as less than human. Murder's actually something that starts in our hearts. I don't know about you, but I don't know that there's ever been a day that I've woken up and just said, "Hmm, today seems like a good day to kill someone. Like, no. But it's actually something that starts in our hearts. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. He said, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. That's pretty intense, right? If you call someone an idiot, if you curse someone, road rage? But for real. See, murder is actually something that starts in our hearts when we let Anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and offense take root in us, have a place in us. It actually starts to grow and it bears fruit. And it's not the good kind. See, James tells us in James chapter 1, he talks about being tempted. And he says, we've all been tempted. We're all tempted. But it's not from God. Actually, our temptation comes from our own desires for things that are contrary to God. And those desires pull us away. They pull us into doing things that we shouldn't do. Sin. And that sin brings about death. Death in us and death in those around us. So while I've never woken up in the morning and said, today's a good day to kill someone, I've definitely treated someone as less than human. I've definitely treated someone as less than an image bearer of the most high God and degraded their value. One of the things I was realizing as I was studying for this is sometimes, I don't know about you, I'll like vent about what's going on, right? And how someone really upset me, by golly. And sometimes it actually just adds fuel to the fire. Like the more I say it, the more I'm like, yeah, that's right, they were wrong. Yeah! right they shouldn't have done that to me and then it actually grows right and then I see that person like there's a little stinking person (laughs) right and then I see them and I'm like they just rubbed me wrong do you know I'm just letting it take root and grow and bear fruit that leads to death so while anger has a place we have to be careful to tend our hearts, to take those things to God and not let them get in our hearts and start to bear fruit of destruction. I love this quote by Stephen Cole. He said, Sinful actions always begin with unchecked sinful thoughts. Thus, while most of us think that we are incapable of murdering someone, if we don't deal with bitterness and anger, we're feeding the root that grows into murder. So for us, it means that we take those things to God. We actually let him handle it rather than avenging ourselves on someone else, screaming at the person in front of us, venting all of it to our friends so that it just grows. And we trust him that he is big enough to take care of us in those situations. Let's be people who tend our hearts well so that we honor the image of God in those around us. Amen? Amen.
3: Thou shalt not commit adultery. I think everyone has heard this word adultery before. You probably heard something like this. Don't cheat on your spouse. Let's talk about it. Adultery is defined as sexual relations between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. First of all, any sexual relations outside the marriage covenant is morally wrong. We learned this last week that in Galatians 5.19, Paul says this. Paul gives a list of acts of sinful nature, and guess what? Sexual immorality is the first one. It says this, the acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, and the list goes on. Proverbs 6.32 says this, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. You see, adultery is a sin against God. God is holy and pure. Adultery is a sin against your spouse and family. Adultery betrays the marriage covenant of faithfulness and wreaks havoc in your home. It betrays and it affects not only your spouse, but your children as well. Adultery has devastating consequences. Let's look at the beginning. God created man, and he said that it is good. Let's fast forward it to Genesis chapter 2. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. See, that word suitable means right or appropriate for a particular person, purpose, or situation. He didn't say, I will send someone for a momentary pleasure. He said, I will make a helper that is suitable for him, a helper. Let me ask you a question. What would have happened if Adam stood up to the serpent and spoke life into Eve and helped her out? See, in Genesis chapter 3, she, meaning Eve, she she took some, meaning the fruit, and ate it. And she also gave some, some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Think about it for a moment. Sin wouldn't have come into the world. See, when Adam ate the fruit, he was not deceived as Eve was. Adam sinned in open rebellion against God. I believe that the biggest re- the, the, the I believe that a big reason adultery is committed is because the relationship with God isn't consistent. It's a big problem that we value our comfort and desires over God's protecting commands. We must choose God over our desires, church. Matthew 6 says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When was the last time you denied yourself rather than indulged yourself? It's counterculture, but crucial. It starts with the relationship with God. If you want a strong relationship with your spouse, you have to go all in after God. God needs to be the center of our relationships. As we surrender surrender to God, our affections will fall into place. See, love doesn't make the commitment last. The commitment makes the love last. Matthew 6.33 says this, and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Desire God more than your spouse. See, listen, church, my fulfillment is not in my wife. It's in God. Danielle cannot fulfill me. Only God can. We need to have a realistic expectation on that. Ways to prevent adultery. Practice godly disciplines. Be faithful in prayer. Read your Bible. Set practical boundaries. Matthew 5 says this. You have heard it, that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Seek to meet each other's needs. Seek to serve. If you're married, seek to meet each other's physical, emotional, sexual needs. Don't neglect your spouse. This could lead to temptations in other areas. Be honest with each other. Don't hide things from each other. If you establish a pattern of hiding little things from your partner, you're setting yourself up for hiding bigger things later, which can lead to the sin of adultery. Guard your eyes and your heart. Set boundaries. Guard your eyes. What are you looking at? Are you entertaining or allowing things you shouldn't? In Proverbs 4.23, it says this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We have to find our satisfaction in God. And finally, church, in Matthew 6.14, then Jesus Told his disciples, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. Amen?
4: So when we look at the Ten Commandments, or really any rules for that matter, uh, it's human nature to check the boxes of the things that we do a good job at or that we actually don't have a problem with. So you're like, check, haven't murdered anybody. Well, good for you. Check, haven't committed adultery, nice. Haven't lied, check, it's pretty awesome. But that's not exactly a good thing to do even though it's human nature. In fact, someone tried that uh, in the gospels with Jesus and it didn't go so well. So if we're gonna go with that mindset though for today, that it's human nature to check the box, and I would say the, the box that you need to check would be do not steal. And the reason for that is because the commandment do not steal actually encompasses the other commandments. In fact, if you steal a life, you've murdered. If you steal a spouse, you've committed adultery. If you even have the desire to steal, then you are coveting. And if you steal justice, you're giving false testimony or you are lying. This commandment do not steal is unique in another way in the fact that it is open-ended. The other commandments, we see, uh, we see very specific instructions given. For instance, the fifth commandment says to honor your, some of y'all listen to Pastor Mel, good job. Honor your father and mother. The sixth says do not murder, which means an innocent life of a human being. And the seventh, adultery, do not commit adultery, is specific to married people. But the eighth, do not steal, doesn't even hint at what specifically is forbidden. So I'm gonna break it down today. That means that you cannot take anything that is not yours. That's really profound, man. Uh, You cannot take anything that belongs to another person, but this can be broken down into three different things. The first thing is do not take someone. Do not kidnap. That would be bad, and possibly make somebody else commit murder. So, do not kidnap. The second thing is don't steal something that is of material value, that has material value. Uh, This is private property. We are forbidden to steal what other people own. In fact, private property beginning with land ownership is indispensable for creating a free and decent society. We've seen that all throughout history. So maybe you're sitting there and so far you've checked the boxes. I don't kidnap, check. Good for you, pat on the back. Um, I haven't stolen any private property. Good for you, check that box. Well, number three, uh, this might hit a little closer to home. Number three is that we cannot steal something that is non-material to other people. For instance, stealing someone's reputation. Stealing someone's good name through libel, through slander or gossip is particularly destructive. The reason being is because when, uh, when you steal something like money or property, it can be renewed somehow. It can be restored. But once you take someone's good name, it is almost impossible for that name to be restored properly. Number two is dignity. This is the act known as humiliation, especially in public. And this can do permanent damage, permanent trauma to perhaps the most precious thing that any one of us So many people today are dealing with mental health issues or are in therapy because of this very thing. Someone stole their dignity. Number three, trust. This is known as deceiving someone or literally stealing knowledge, tricking somebody. We all know the example of a used car salesman that tries to make a lemon look like lemonade. And if you're a car salesman in here, um, we'll pray for you after the service. But I'm sure this isn't you, okay? This can also mean, though, tricking someone insincerely, having insincere proclamations of love to receive material or sexual favors. And lastly, intellectual property. This includes anything from stealing software to illegally downloading something or stealing someone else's words. So whether it's stealing a life, a person, a spouse, material things, non-material things, there is hardly any aspect of human life that is not harmed by stealing. That's why it's fair to say that if you were to follow one commandment, that if you followed this, do not steal, it would make for a pretty beautiful world. But what if you have done this? What if you have stolen someone's reputation? What if you have stolen someone's dignity or stolen somebody's trust? Then what are you to do? The good news is that there is forgiveness and restoration found in Jesus. And today, you can actually ask the Holy Spirit to give you an opportunity to seek forgiveness where it may be found. You can ask the Holy Spirit to help you reconcile with people that you have stolen from, whether it be material or non-material things. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to restore you personally. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new person. The old is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. That's restoration, who brought himself, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And lastly, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So if, as I read through that, you can't check the box, that's okay, there is Jesus. And if we follow him and we put our trust in him, and we seek forgiveness, and we seek reconciliation, it will be given to us. It's already been done by the work on the cross and his resurrection. There is restoration for you today. But in the meantime,
0: try not to steal. So two boys were arguing in class one day, and the teacher comes in and sees them arguing and comes up to the boys, and she's like, hey, hey, what are you guys arguing about? And they said, We found $10 on the ground, and so we decided that we would give it to the one who could tell the biggest lie. And the teacher looks at them and says, you should be ashamed of yourselves. When I was your age, I didn't even know what a lie was. And the boys went, oh, you win. And they gave the $10 to the teacher. Uh, If you're keeping count, this is commandment number nine. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Now, when we hear the words testify falsely, we might think of a legal proceeding or a court case. And this commandment certainly encompasses that. But it also just means don't lie, period, full stop. There is this one story in Scripture, though. Um, Rahab lies to protect the lives of the Israelite spies, and God actually rewards her for it. And the only reason I bring that up is that theologians say that we value human life above the law. And so, fellas, next time your wife comes up to you and says, do these jeans make me look fat? If you feel like your life is in imminent danger. (laughs) All right, so let's get to the real stuff, okay? Do not lie. So the thing about the Ten Commandments is that they're foundational to the functioning of a healthy society. These weren't just good ideas that God threw out or just things to see if we would be good at keeping the rules. When God says don't lie, he's telling us that valuing truth is fundamental to the good of the community and that should be a defining value for the people of God. When we tell a lie about someone else, We can damage their reputation, Uh, we can damage their view of themselves, we can even damage their view of God. Think about how many people you know who believe themselves to be worthless simply because someone told them they were, told them a lie. But believing a lie about yourself can be devastating. Look Look at our culture, look at our society and think about all of the issues of identity that we face right now. Much, if not all, of the turmoil that we see surrounding identity can be traced back to a lie." For some, that means that they feel a conflict in themselves about their gender or sexuality. For others, it's a conflict about their sense of worth or value. Maybe for you, it's this gnawing thing in your gut that says that uh, you doubt God's love for you because you were led to believe that you had to earn it. And you know deep down that you'll never be good enough to deserve it. See, for each of us, when we come into alignment with a lie, we find ourselves in conflict internally. And Pastor Mel often says to us, when we have conflict in us, it leads to conflict around us. Some of the greatest atrocities in all of human history started out with a lie. The Holocaust. The enslavement of millions of African Americans in the pre-Civil War United States. The genocides of Pol Pot, uh, Ponzi schemes like Bernie Madoff, and we, the list goes on and on and on. It's about, they all start with a lie. A lie about the reality of a promised future, or a lie about the nature of a people of a different color, tribe, or creed. It's these lies that allow us to vilify other people. And rather than seeing them as people that God loves, we see them as inferior or worthy of our disdain, or even worse, worthy of annihilation. See, There may be some of you this morning who have hostility toward a person or a group of persons because you've believed a lie about them. Maybe it's a lie that you've believed about a people of a particular race or maybe a lie about a people of a different political persuasion or a different religion. Maybe you simply assume things about people who are different from you that simply aren't true. All of these things can cause strife and division and ultimately the destruction and breakdown of a culture. That's why it's so important for us to be a people who value the truth, who hold it as a core value, who insist on the truth being told in every arena. We, we not only have to be a truth telling people, but a people who insist that the truth be paramount in the public sphere. You see, telling the truth isn't just about our personal integrity. I mean, that's super important, and it's certainly included in this. But truth-telling is about everything. Without it, the very fabric of our society begins to erode. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul said, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, And then he goes on to define what true is, right? Honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Jesus himself, talking of himself, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he also said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's be a people who value the truth.
5: The 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All right. So we've just talked about lying, stealing, murder, adultery. I mean, come on. Does coveting sound that bad? It feels pretty mild to me, right? It doesn't sound so bad. Is it so bad to, to covet your neighbor's ox or donkey? When was the last time you did that? What about their golden doodle. (laughs) Is it so bad to covet my neighbor's house? Is it really hurting anyone? See, the other commands that we looked at directly state outward actions, but this 10th one focuses on our thoughts. It legislates thoughts and our hearts' desires, which only God can see. Literally, the word for covet in Hebrew means desire or to pant after. And this word desire is not wrong, but when it is misdirected toward that which belongs to someone else, it is then wrong. But we need to understand the difference between envy and covetousness. So envy is closely related. Envy is a desire to have the same things that someone else has. Envy says, I like what you have, show me how to get it too. Whether that be a quality, possession, or attribute, I want an exercise bike like yours. I want influence like he has. I want a healthy body like she has. Envy can be constructive. If you're envious of someone's influence, you might then take your relationships more seriously. If you're envious of someone's house, you might work harder in life to have a house too. But envy can also be destructive and can lead to covetousness. Because covetousness is a desire to have what belongs to someone else. Covetousness says, I want what you have. And in fact, I am more worthy of it than you. It's not just wishing for it, but seeking to possess it. Willing to do any work to have it at any cost. This this could be money, possessions, fame, influence, power, or anything. To covet is to say, look how my husband treats me. But her husband... He would treat me well. I want his power. The Lord has convicted me personally of of coveting maybe the admiration or the attention that someone else receives that I want for myself. Coveting is birthed out of discontentment in our soul and a disorder of our affections. Our God created us to have needs and wants that he would fulfill, that he could be our provider and our sustainer to our needs and wants. And when they're met, we worship the source, and the source was always meant to be God. He promises to be everything that we need, that in him we would lack nothing, but sin makes us believe That our desires can be um, met, can be fulfilled and satisfied apart from the Lord. That God is holding out on us. That what you have now can no longer satisfy. And what someone else has will satisfy, will fulfill. So God gives us this command not to covet, to protect us from something harmful. To keep us from running after things that will distract or destroy or disappoint. He's calling us back to the only source that satisfies, which is himself. Coveting also brings destruction to our relationships. Where there is covetousness, there is also resentment for other people. And we are meant to celebrate one another, to, to recognize God has called each of us to, zif- to different positions or places, that he's given us things to steward, all of us, that are, it's all his But when we covet, we become distracted with other people's possessions or position rather than seeing their purpose that God has given them. We begin to believe that I'm responsible now for my provision. I am now the source and and my feelings and my desires will dictate what should be mine that God may never have planned to give you. In this way, coveting becomes the starting point, the root sin that leads to other sins. Before we steal, we covet what we wanna take. Before we commit adultery, we covet someone else's spouse. When we lie, we cover up what was undone because we coveted. Covetousness may begin inwardly, but it will manifest itself outwardly in the words that we speak, in the decisions we make, in the money we spend, in the hurt that we end up causing. And this is why God cares so much about it because it is idolatry. It substitutes the worship of God for something else that won't satisfy. Covetousness is only interested in getting and grabbing while love is interested in giving. So how do we keep it from taking root in our hearts? Hebrews thirteen five, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Today, if you've got covetousness in your heart, confess it to God. Repent to God. Confess it to a godly person that's in your life. Stay close to the one who says, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. When we're living with disordered um, affections, the Holy Spirit can be the one to lead us back to the only source that brings true and lasting contentment. And let every good thing that you have Stir up an adoration and an affection for the one who gave it to you. It came from God's hand first. That we can worship him no matter our circumstances or our possessions. And I have another line, but I don't have time to tell you. So now I'm done. (laughs) Oh, So, so fun. Uh, Man, that wraps up my portion of six for six. I'll tell you what I was going to say since I'm still here have godly relationships that hold you accountable. Sorry, guys, you didn't get this. Have godly relationships that hold you accountable and stir up your affection for Christ and generosity. But no, uh, so grateful that you joined us for Six for Six today. Um, I hope the Holy Spirit spoke to you, and especially for those watching online, joining us from Blairsville, we're so glad that you joined us. And right now at this time, we want to turn it back over to our host in Blairsville as they finish out the rest of this service. So thank you guys so much for joining us. We love you more than you know, and we're so honored to be your pastors. Well, guys, today um, I hope it's clear that that our chief desire that we should um, pant after first the things of God, the kingdom of heaven. And what I find so cool is that when the people of God were given these ten commandments, when they were given this law, they they were Near a place called Mount Sinai. And God shows up with them and and he says, I want to renew my covenant with you. That if you will obey my commands, I, you will be my special possession. You will be my people. And so he asks a man named Moses, the, the, the leader at this time, to go up and meet him on Mount Sinai. And he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And, and the entire basis of these commands is this, that God saved his people from slavery before he commanded them to do anything. His saving work was not based on their obedience. And the commands that, that we see, that we've looked at today, they give us a glimpse into the character of God. That he doesn't want us to murder because he values life so much. That there, there shouldn't be adultery because God is so faithful to us and he can help us be faithful as well. We can see who God is by the way that he calls Israel to live. But Israel and the rest of humanity like us have not kept these 10 commandments. And so this covenant that God made with his people, we should not have the other end. We should not be his people. We should not be his treasured possession because we couldn't keep our side of the covenant. But like God came and met Moses at Mount Sinai, Jesus also came to earth and met us, right? Right where we were. The glory of God has come off the mountain. And Jesus did this not only by living the perfect life in the flesh and, and being a 100% man here, but he did this by upholding our end of the covenant. We couldn't keep our end of the covenant, but because he did, he obeyed every command and therefore the obedience that was his is credited to us who believe in him. That we can now receive the promise attached to this covenant that we can be his people and he can be our God. But even more, God saves us in the same way that he saved Israel. Before you and I ever obeyed any command, he saved us. And it was because of what Jesus done, because Jesus obeyed every command that we can be saved today. The good news of what Jesus has done for us is what moves us to obey him. We obey him out of love, out of adoration. We see the character of Jesus in the commands. And now, he is making us like uh, like him by the power of his Holy Spirit. He is the God who saves before he commands. And Jesus is the one who obeys all the commands so that we can be saved. So today, maybe you're here and you say, I didn't know that. I thought I had to obey all of the commands in order to be saved. I've been trying to do this and do that and be a good person and uh, do lots of acts of kindness just so that so that God can find me acceptable. But today you realize that that's not the case, that Jesus has done it all, that because of what he's done, we get to take part in the promise of the covenant and God gets to be our God. So maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. I wanna give you that opportunity to receive him, to know him, to surrender it all to him, to have life the life that he wants to give you today. So do me a favor and bow your head and close your eyes all over this place today. God, I thank you that even in your commands, even in in your law, we can see who you are. That you don't just throw rules at us and commands at us to, to force us to live a certain way, God, but you are protecting us, you are providing for us, you are kind in the way that you direct and guide us. And we can see your character today. So God, I pray that you would show us more of who you are. God, I ask that that you would remind us today, no matter if we have received salvation or not, we are reminded today that you are the one that kept up the covenant. You upheld your end of the covenant. And God, we did absolutely nothing to deserve it, but we can call our God, God today because of what Jesus has done. Thank you that you saved us before you've commanded us to do anything, that all we have to do is receive salvation that you have provided today. It's nothing that we could have done. It's no commandment or number of commandments that we could have kept. God, we fall so very short, but you chose to come, to live the life that we couldn't live, to die in our place, the death that should have been ours, to pay that penalty, to give us life today through your resurrection. Lord, I pray for those who are here that don't know you, who haven't met you, who haven't surrendered their lives to you. God, I pray that you would work in their hearts today Who who thought that they had to obey all the commands in order for you to love them. God, you loved them before you gave a command. So God, work in their hearts today, open their eyes, help them see that you are calling them home that you are working in their lives, that you've always, always been there, that you've never left. You've never forsaken them. You are the God that stays. God, minister in this place today. Do what you wanna do. Now, with no one looking around, with your head bowed and your eyes still closed, if you're here today and you say, Steph, that's me, I I thought I had to keep all the commands and I've been trying so hard and I know I fall short, but today I recognize that I can actually obey because I love him. That because of what Christ has done, I can receive salvation. And today I wanna surrender it all today. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna know God. And the only reason I can know God is because of what Christ has done on the cross. So if that's you, I don't wanna embarrass you. I don't wanna make you come forward. I wanna pray with you right where you are. So if that's you, would you do me a favor? Would you slip up your hand and just tell me, that's me, Steph, pray for me right where I am today. I wanna surrender my life to him in this place today. I wanna receive salvation. Yeah, I see you on the right. Anyone else wanna join this one and say, I'm surrendering my life today. Thank you. Well, what I want to do now is, with your head bowed and your eyes still closed, I want to pray a prayer with you. In the book of Romans, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I want to pray a prayer with you that you would repeat it from, or that you would mean it from the core of who you are. So I want everyone in this place to to repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for paying the debt that I could never pay. Today, I surrender my life to you as Lord, to you as King. Take my life, use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Yeah, can we give God a round of applause? So grateful that It's only Jesus who made a way so that we could know him. And so if you made that decision, whether you raised your hand or not today, I just wanna say I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you that you've started this faith journey with Christ. And we want to help you. We wanna be here to support you on this journey so you can mature into all that God is calling you to be. And so you can respond in a couple of ways. You can take the card if you're here in the room today in the seat back in front of you and fill out that card that says uh, connect card and fill out the part that says salvation take it to the Info Center. We've got a free Bible for you. If you're watching online or you're here in the room, you can also text the word Summit PA. it's just one word, to the number 94000, and uh, that will lead you on and and will guide you in your faith journey by doing that. Uh, We've got Starting Point, which is our New Believers class beginning this June, which is like, you know, pretty close. So I would definitely encourage you to jump into that. You can do that online or in person, um, but that will just help you build the foundations of your faith, the foundations of Christianity. Um, so I would encourage you to jump into that. It's going to be great. Um, but yeah, I'm so grateful for what the Holy Spirit has spoken. Um, I have a feeling that, uh, he may have spoken some things to you today and I, I, I trust that he did, but we want to take this opportunity to make sure that we, uh, pray. Um together for for what you've got going on in your lives and so what we do is I'm gonna pray one final prayer of blessing over you and as I do the prayer team is gonna come forward and join me at the front of this room and so maybe there's something specific um, that you're convicted of that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you just want to agree with someone that um, that God would continue to help you with that and lead you with that do that today in the front of the room or maybe there's something going on in your life or someone that you know that you just say hey I want to agree there is power in coming together In praying and asking that to our Lord. So I would encourage you to do so. But let me pray one final prayer over you and then you'll be dismissed. God, thank you so much for the people in this place, for the people watching online. God, I pray that you would help us live lives that are obedient out of love for you, God. God, I thank you that, that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us today as believers to walk out our faith in this life. God, we can't do it without you. And we wanna be people that are marked, um, marked by pure hearts, God. We wanna be people that desire you, that pant after you, God. So stir up a greater affection and love for you today. God, let the people around us see great fruit, godly fruit of what you're doing in our lives that only you could do. And we will give you all of the glory and the honor for what you're doing. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Well guys, thank you so much for joining us. Join us at the front of the room if you if you need prayer. Have a great weekend.